Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. When I pull together shows each week for you, it's often not until I'm at this point recording the introduction that I can look at the show as a whole. And I have to tell you, I think you'll be positively blown away by today's lineup. Each woman that joins me today is both inspired and inspiring. As restrictions across the country increase and spirits are dampened, women need each other more than ever. And so I really look at today's lineup as a gift because there is something in this episode for every woman out there today, starting with Senator Kim Pate, who has spent nearly 40 years working in and around the legal and penal systems of Canada with and on behalf of some of the most marginalized, victimized, criminalized, and institutionalized members of our society. Kim believes that we are staring down the barrel of a poverty pandemic and that we need to take swift and immediate action to turn the tide. Kim's determined efforts are keeping those that need the most help front and center at the federal level and shares ways we can all get involved. Where would we be without Anne Brody every week? Likely bored to tears, I suspect. Thankfully, Anne never stops bringing us entertainment, and this week she joins me with details about the long-awaited Nomadland starring the wonderful Frances McDormand on Disney+. Anne is hoping this one sweeps the Oscars, and when Anne says that, that, I know it has to be a stellar movie. Plus, she shares her thoughts on Made for Love on Amazon Prime and Held available on demand. Every woman who listens to Kimberly Black's story will have chills. In the early evening last July, Kimberly went for a walk in her neighborhood, as she often did, and was found 18 hours later lying in a creek with multiple life-threatening injuries after being assaulted and left for dead. Less than a year later, Kimberly is moving forward with her life and is offering up tales of resilience through her Be Positive initiative to help other women move forward after traumatic events in life. We are all longing for a return to normalcy, and Carolyn Ray brings us a glimmer of it this week with the results of a new travel survey her company Journeywoman conducted on women's travel readiness. Carolyn shares what travel will look like, the trend towards slow travel, and why personal safety for women is a top concern. How are you making out with that quarantine 15? A recent report on CNN shared that some people may have gained more than one and a half pounds on average. Lindsay G. believes life is about balance and finding what you need to make you feel strong and healthy. She joins me with some tips for staying healthy without beating yourself up. Finally, I know this week has been hard on you. So for the next few weeks, I'm going to end each show with an expert on mindfulness to help us all get through with our mental health intact as we roll with this third wave. This week, Stephanie Valentine, a clinical hypnotist, holistic nutritionist, and wellness coach, joins me to share ways to help you stay in the moment and not catch a ride on the stress train. It's another full week at What She Said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region. Hey. 
My first guest today was appointed to Canada's Senate in 2016 and has spent nearly 40 years working in and around the legal and penal systems of Canada with and on behalf of some of the most marginalized, victimized, criminalized, and institutionalized, particularly imprisoned youth, men, and women. Senator Kim Pate strongly believes that the contributions of women who have experienced marginalization, discrimination, and oppression should be recognized and respected, and she seeks to credit and empower women. Today, she joins me to discuss a second pandemic that is sweeping across the country that is not being talked about nearly enough. Welcome to the show, Kim. Thank you very much, Candace, and thank you for all of your work. So let's discuss them because I really do want to jump into this second pandemic, as you called it on Twitter. And what is that? So we're talking about, well, there's a, more than one, actually. There's the pandemic of racism. But I was talking in that context, I think, about poverty and the fact that even though Canada at this time has done an incredible and a laudable job of supporting all kinds of folks, pivoting from an ineffective EI system to using the, the uh, CRA rules to roll out money to people who had lost it, uh, we still left behind at least one in 10 people in this country, those people who were living in poverty before the pandemic struck, um, as well as those who have been plunged into poverty because of uh, they either weren't working as many hours or as long or making the income or because they were they needed to care for people or a combination of all of those things. And so we have, you know, one in 10 people in this country not being supported. And as I as you and I are having this discussion, you know, just steps away from Parliament Hill where these decisions are being made or virtually and, and a combination. We have women who many of whom are working full-time jobs, some of whom I should say, not many, uh, some of whom are working full-time jobs at minimum wage who can't afford to rent an apartment. And these are women who are often working in the uh, retail sector. They're working in providing long-term care and personal support work. And uh, that's true in 90% of the communities in this country. Someone working full-time at a minimum wage job cannot afford to rent a one-bedroom apartment. These are horrendous realities that pre-existed the pandemic, but have really been amplified because of the, the health pandemic. And so um, we need to focus. And in terms of health and racism, we know that it's the poorest, um, often racialized communities, often indigenous and or new uh, Canadians who have most been impacted by both the poverty and the um, and the health consequences. So, so those are realities that we need to deal with and not just during this pandemic, but going forward. Obviously when this pandemic hit last year, it just, it hit us, you know, like a ton of bricks. Uh, there it was very quick reaction from the government and I do give them credit. They, they really did step up to help people. Obviously people fell through the cracks on this. How do we correct this now? Who are the eyeballs who are recognizing? And obviously you are one, but who is noticing who is falling across, falling uh, through the cracks and how can we help them now? Because waiting a month or two is, is just this, as we know, it gets worse. It's a snowball effect. Absolutely. Well, I, I think there are some members of parliament, certainly, and there are certainly some folks in some of the provinces and territories. You are, and many members of the media are noticing this. And most importantly, people on the ground experiencing it are noticing it. And so uh, the challenge is, and, you know, as we saw the example I gave of people working, women in particular working full time, but having to live in homeless shelters, 
even so some of the most privileged don't get it and i think many of us and i'm now in a very privileged position the fact that i grew up working class is miles away from where i am today but the reality is many people in these positions don't know or um, have never really thought about the issues of who's really challenged and who's really struggling. And so I think we have things like guaranteed livable income. We have things like um, additional health care supports like pharmacare, dental care, mental health care that, again, this pandemic has really amplified we need. And so we need, you know, some people have talked about a she recovery, that we need a recovery that because women have so disproportionately been impacted, whether it's women who are living in poverty, women who are struggling working full-time but minimum wage, women who are caring for their children, their elderly parents, people with disabilities, women entrepreneurs who have just started up in, in uh, you know, new projects, new initiatives, and then suddenly this hit. Those are all the folks we need to be looking at. And so I think there are an array of options we could be looking at that include guaranteed livable income, include things like childcare, include things like better and more comprehensive healthcare initiatives, like I already mentioned. And if we did that, we know that actually, even though there'd be an initial outlay, we've already seen that, there, we've outlaid you know, billions and billions of dollars in CERB, we could actually also do tax reform and recoup some of those costs. And we know that in the long term, if we have a better, more equitable tax system, if we have a guaranteed livable income, if we have a more robust healthcare system, uh, as well as education systems, that we will actually save money in healthcare, criminal legal costs in many of these areas going forward, and that the standard of living for everybody will be increased and the economic disparity could be decreased because during this pandemic as well and you may have seen me tweeting about this that the 20 or 40 richest people in this country i've seen different figures but have made over 50 billion dollars that's as a time when that amount of money could have actually helped pay for some of these sorts of initiatives so we need to really change how we're doing things and i think now is the best I can't think of a better reason to do it than all of the issues so many people are facing right now. And I think this too, that, you know, we're not, we're, we're often disconnected from, uh, you know, what is happening to people because there is, it feels to me like the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer. And that may just widen after the recovery comes, right? Because we have all these households that we're seeing in the news, they have all this extra money to spend that's going to fuel the recovery. But what happens to these people who have been really hit hard by these constant opens and closures and, you know, just constantly falling behind. As we know from a lot of things we see in systemic racism, you never really catch up. Mm -hmm. That's right. You don't catch up. And yes, the gap gets bigger. And we know that people who have a lot of money, their money isn't necessarily being reinvested in the economy. Whereas we know, for instance, Canada already has an experience with the Canada Child Benefit. Every dollar that has been put out to help support children who previously were in poverty has resulted in $2 of economic growth. So we know that anybody, if you give money to people who are already impoverished, who are struggling economically, they're using that money for rent, for food, for clothing, for the things they need. The money is being reinvested in the economy. So it's actually reinvigorating the economy. And I think actually, as we come out of this pandemic, we should be looking at not just GDP as a measure, and some of the more the countries that are doing best in terms of 
um, women's recovery, if I can put it that way, or the people who are most marginalized recovering, are not surprisingly, I think, women-headed and often racialized women-headed countries. And so we're looking at that leadership and they're looking at things like not just GDP, but human well-being as a, as a way to examine what how we come out of this in a way that does everybody's doing better. It's not just poverty and racism, the, this, the mental health implications, and we really need to be investing in this right now because yeah. that is going to be huge, uh, particularly for women who, again, have bore, the, borne the brunt of this. Uh, you know, they're going to need it as, um, now and probably for a long time to come after. Absolutely. And we don't subsidize it. I mean, in, by and large, we do not uh, provide subsidy. And so one of the arguments being used, for instance, to not have a guaranteed livable income for people, which would be income tested, not I'm not talking about a demigrant, a, a bunch of money that some conservatives have, uh, small c conservatives have recommended go out to everybody, including the rich. I'm talking about income tested models that you know, part of the reason people stay on social assistance, even though it's inadequate, is there are there are things like pharmacare and mental health supports provided through those systems that people working minimum wage jobs or even working, you know, under in low wage positions can't afford or, you know, don't have benefits, can't afford to have those kinds of supports. And we need that for absolutely going forward. And so these are all measures that we could be putting in place to help shore up. Um, the, the lives of those who are struggling right now, but also to create a better, you know, a better society as we move forward out of this. One of the things that I've loved during this pandemic is the fact that we've talked about people doing things, caring for each other. Well, let's capitalize on those sorts of things and not just by banging pots, but let's actually meaningfully invest in our healthcare systems so that people actually have the supports they need going forward. Well, I really think we're going to need mass mobilization of women uh, in particular going forward. And so I love what you're doing and I love what you're sharing out there. So if people want to connect with you, uh, work with you, volunteer, uh, how can they find you? Well, they can find me um, if you just apparently if you Dr. Google, as my friend would say, but if you just uh, look, you can find our bio page. You can find all the work we're doing. You can find links to my Twitter account as well as um, to I'm just started doing TikToks of all things. So uh, but yeah, if any of those ways you can connect. But the other is that if you're if you're interested in some of these issues, let your members of parliament and senators know, because right now, uh, all the different parties are having policy conventions trying to decide what their priorities are. And I think it's important to let them know. And we're soon going to have a federal budget. Let them the deputy prime minister and prime minister know what you think should be priorities and including tax reform, I would say. Well, now is not the time for apathy. So I agree. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope I will have you back again soon. It would be my pleasure. Thank you so much for doing this, Candace, and thank you for all of your work. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region. First Saturday night at the movies is Anne Brody. And Anne, this week you're bringing us Nomadland. I watched the trailer. 
I have to say I'm incredibly moved by this one. That just gave me shivers right now. I've seen the film so many times already. I saw it first in September and I still don't have the words to describe it. It's just such a wonderful achievement in filmmaking by Chloe Zhao, who's up for best director and Frances McDormand, who's up for best actress. Uh, she plays a woman whose town went bust when the uh, sheetrock factory closed and she's forced to uh, live in her vanguard, which is the name of her van <laughs> that she personalizes. And she hooks up with these uh, nomadic groups in similar situations across the, uh, the, the American West. So we follow her on this journey and it'll rip your heart out at points. It's so still and you're right in her mind. And you know, Frances McDormand, she can't hide a thing. And her soul is speaking through her face, even when it's still it, phenomenal, just phenomenal. She's incredibly so, expressive, you know, even yeah. just in the short trailer I watched. And there was the one part where <laughs> she said to the girl, she said, the girl said to her, are you homeless? And she said, no, I'm houseless. Yes, that's important because she's created this little, uh, you know, uh, low cost paradise for herself. And she, she she's constantly being kicked out of places in the middle of the night that she can't park there but she finds these communities and and then she runs into a guy a few times played by David Strathairn and they begin a relationship and that you know it's I, I won't tell you any more about it but he is surprisingly not houseless there's so much to to look at and to feel and your heart will be so engaged in this film. And I hope it sweeps the Oscars. I really do. It deserves it. All it's right. So, so that's that's on Disney Plus uh, April 9th. Or when so does it premiere? Uh, this this weekend. Friday. Yesterday. Oh, so <laughs> <laughs> already, already. <laughs> already up. So rush to watch that this weekend. Okay. I want to get to two that seemingly have sort of similar storylines, but different right. approaches. So let's start with the first one um, yep. with Kristen uh, Malati, because I love her. She's very, she, she's expressive too, but in a more comic way. Um, yeah. So she was in Spr uh, Palm Springs that you might've seen <clears throat> now. We're in Texas here for Made for Love, which is a 10-parter on Amazon Prime. Um, we see, <laughs> it opens, it's so funny. She's crawling out of a sewer drainage uh, thing in the middle of the desert. And she's clearly been through something. And the camera zooms back and you see behind her in the distance is this stunning high-tech mansion in the middle of the desert so turns out and, and it just hops all over in time back and forth which I find so annoying and lazy but she was living in that house with a, a, um, a high-tech entrepreneur played by Billy Magnuson and he was basically controlling her with a chip he in, implanted a chip in her brain because she's meant to be she's made for love in other words so she realizes what's happening and she tries to make her escape. And of course there are endless numbers of roadblocks. Um, it's kind of satirical. It doesn't take this kind of thing seriously. And I think there's a good reason to take it seriously. Who knows what lies ahead in the future, right? Or even in the now. 
Uh, well, so it's that art imitating life thing that, you know, yeah. uh, often, yeah. often we see and go, wait a minute, that wasn't supposed to happen. Uh, but held, uh, held actually gave me chills. Uh, I can't think, excellent. I can't think of a worse hell than being trapped in a home with somebody you don't love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> well, and that's the case in this film, uh, which was written and stars, written by and stars uh, Jill Aubrey. So she and her husband go for a getaway weekend. Uh, things are pretty tense between them and they think this weekend's going to cure them in the middle of the desert in a house that is uh, very 50s, but it's also got some high tech, like there's a landline and the closet's full of 50s clothes. Her clothes are mysteriously removed and she has to wear these tight fitting confining outfits. She has to cook all the meals. They have to obey this voice that's in the house. So bit by bit, she begins to piece things together. And well, Again, I don't want to tell you what happens, but it's so interesting and it's the mood is perfect. Um, but, you know, again, we have chips and we have surveillance and we <laughs> and thank God for a cab driver who comes back to uh, deliver the notebook she left in his car. He doesn't save the day, but she saves his day. So, uh, so the made for love is on Amazon prime, uh, yeah. held is on TVOD. You have yeah. a whole list of other, uh, shows and movies that people can watch this weekend, uh, yeah. on what she said, talk.com. Uh, there's not a whole lot cause nobody wanted to go up against Nomadland, right? You got that straight. <laughs> All right. So that's our must watch this weekend. And as always, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much. Shut their mouths. We smile away to ease the tension so it don't go south. But there's nothing funny now. Last July, Kimberly Black went for a run and didn't return home. She was found the next morning near a creek and had suffered multiple serious injuries that were consistent with assault. As a result of those life-threatening injuries, Kimberly had to undergo extensive medical procedures and rehabilitation. Less than a year later, one would expect that she would be grappling with the expected emotions of rage, despair, depression, etc. And she is. But she is also bringing us a very positive message. Kimberly has launched a Be Positive campaign to help other women discover the resilience within to move forward after traumatic events. Welcome to the show, Kimberly. Thank you for having me. So I think it's important to note that, yes, you are dealing with all of these expected emotions, right? Like they didn't just disappear into thin air. No, I absolutely experience uh, those emotions that you mentioned to one degree or another at certain times of the day. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so yeah, it's definitely, definitely not something that just comes and goes. But the overriding uh, emotion is that you are moving forward. Absolutely. I'm, I feel very uh, confident, very hopeful about the future. I, you know, I, I, I'm trying to be positive as much as possible, but there's lots to look forward to. And I don't want to let what happened to me uh, have, the, have the upper hand, if that makes sense. I'm trying to take the control back. 
So what do you think has compelled you then to come forward to help other people? I mean, it is less than a year later. A lot of people would still be really, uh, you know, withdrawn into themselves after such an event less than a year later. What is pushing you to help others? Well, thank you for asking that question. I, I often wonder, and I've, I've said this to multiple people, why am I okay? I'm, I'm very curious, like what, what has made me resilient? And if there's certain things in my personality, in my, in my history, in my lifestyle, are there little nuggets of wisdom that I can share with other women? Um, you know, like, what is it that has made me resilient? And if there's something, something that I can share with others to help other women, then that's what I need to do. So I've taken the fact that I don't have, um, you know, a, a, a traumatic memory of what happened, just taking the positives from it and transferring that into uh, words of wisdom or, or insights for other women to help them uh, overcome adversity. Now, we've recorded a longer form podcast. And if people want to listen to that, they can go over and, and listen to it on Apple, Spotify, wherever they get their podcast. But I would love you to please, for the radio audience, share the story of why you have called this Be Positive, because I think it is the sweetest, sweetest story ever. <laughs> it, it is really sweet, actually. When, when I was taken to the uh, ICU at St. Mike's, my, my husband was um, asked tons of questions like what is what is your wife allergic to what medications is she on and what's her blood type and he didn't know my blood type and he actually got quite emotional because he thought you know the hospital needs this crucial information to help my wife and I don't have this information so uh, they said not to worry and and later on the nurses came back to him and said um, just to let you know your your wife's blood type is B positive and that just made him break down he was he was over come with emotion because he thought of course it's be positive what else could her blood type be so then as a as a consequence uh, he's a musician um, he ended up when we got home and settled he he wrote a song called be positive which he just released so it all kind of came together full circle <laughs> so how then are you helping people then through this through be positive well, what my um, initiatives are going going forward, I have a, a YouTube channel, which originally started with with another objective. But what ended up happening was when uh, when I came home from from rehab and went on my YouTube channel, I know I had noticed I had hundreds of subscribers that I never had before. And it just made me scratch my head. And then uh, as I started posting videos about what happened, thanking like the GoFundMe contributors, just talking about things more and more subscribers came on. So it, it taught me that people really want to hear good news. You know, they want to hear uh, happy stories, like what's, what's up with Kimberly and how is she doing? So because of that, I thought, you know, going forward, I think I, I want to create a channel that talks about how we can be resilient. Because not only am, am I resilient in, in what has happened to me, but there's 
you know, thousands of other women who have stories out there um, about how they too have been resilient and, and faced adversity. So going forward, uh, my, my initiatives will be to interview women about the adversity they've experienced uh, to whatever extent they're willing to divulge. Um, and then what the lessons learned were, you know, what tips they would have for other women and in particular women who are raising young women uh, to be strong and uh, have self-belief and, and believe in their full potential. Well, you can't be what you can't see. And so I think people do need to see people modeling resilience. So I think this is absolutely brilliant. If people want to connect with you, uh, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on YouTube and it's just Kimberly Black and it's L-E-Y. So don't forget that. Um, also my website, KimberlyBlack.com. And that is, is taking shape. I'm filling in information there. There's also um, in, uh, an initiative that's on there through Ontario Tech University. Uh, they've initiated a, a, a graduate scholarship fund in, in my name. And if you want to get involved in, in that, then uh, please check that out. And then also if you want to connect with me on a professional level, you can do so on LinkedIn. Incredible. Kimberly, thank you so much for sharing your story today. Thank you. Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. As the primary influencers in travel, women make most travel decisions. Over two-thirds of travelers are female. When we return to travel, women will exercise their influence to create a better world by making intentional choices, largely based on the recommendations of other women about where and how they travel. Carolyn Ray has spent her entire 30-year career advocating for women and heads up Journey Woman, a platform, platform that empowers and supports women on their life's journey with travel as a shared passion. Journey Woman recently conducted a survey on women's travel readiness, and Carolyn joins me today to share some of the findings. Welcome back to what she said, Carolyn. Thank you. I'm so happy to be back and to be talking to you again. You know, I loved seeing this. It was just, it was a glimpse of normalcy in my inbox. I really loved seeing this survey. So I want to hear all about it. So tell me what were some of the big findings for you? So just to be clear, we're doing kind of pulse surveys every month on all kinds of different topics with our Journey Woman community, which is mostly made up of older women. So women 50, uh, 50 and up. And so these are boomers and Gen Xers. And in my view, they are the most influential women in travel because they are the women with the time and the money and the experience to get out there and, and travel. And so the survey that we, um, that we did in January, and we did another one in March, looked at something that we call travel readiness. So, you know, that was basically exploring what are, uh, what are your travel intentions and are you planning trips, you know, for 2021, 2022? Um, how confident are you feeling about travel in the future? What are the, the barriers to that? And we saw a bit of a change from January to March, which was that confidence started to firm up a little bit. And I think that probably had a lot to do with the introduction of, of the vaccine. 
but what we see now is that most women are starting to look at 2022. And not only that, they're really planning far ahead into 2023. When they're planning, is there a difference in what, you know, the destinations, uh, how they're planning to get there, how long they're staying? What are you seeing in those sorts of trends? Yeah, so one of the questions we asked is, what are the things that you um, that you were thinking of now that you weren't thinking of uh, before the pandemic? So we asked a number of questions like, are you looking at more eco-friendly accommodations? Are you looking to go somewhere completely new? Do you wanna travel for longer periods of time? Uh, uh, do you want to choose um, animal experiences that are more ethical? Or uh, would you like to look at indigenous uh, you know, tours and experiences? And the answer to all of those was yes. Those are all things that I want to do. Uh, what we see with most of our women is they want to be a lot more purposeful when they travel. They want to make better choices. Uh, the challenge at the moment is how do you uh, how do you learn and how do you how do you differentiate between what is real and what is not and learn to make better choices about um, the kinds of things that we choose and things like animals, for example, and wildlife is a really confusing area. So uh, we started to do some sessions on that last year and we're going to ramp that up for Earth Day uh, in a few weeks. We've got an event that we're planning on April 22nd where we're going to you know, touch on it. Uh, and we've got some folks coming in from, from sanctuaries around the world talking about sea turtles and, and things that you can do. And then also we're going to really dive into that more in May and, and throughout the rest of the year. Okay, so I want to um, touch on the environment a little bit more there. I realize you were mentioning about animals, but how much do you think women are looking at things like uh, the resorts are staying at uh, and their uh, environmental efforts uh, about how they're getting to places and maybe... Uh, offsetting that with carbon uh, purchases. What, what sort of things are you hearing about that? Yeah, I, I think those will be more important. I think, you know, one of the trends that we see is that women uh, with regard to safety in particular will want to stay in places where they can, um, where they are seen, you know, where, where somebody remembers them or uh, they can connect with people in a more, you know, authentic way. So, uh, I'm not sure this is answering your question totally, Candace, but the it, the women that we've surveyed aren't looking at large hotels that much. They're looking more at boutique hotels. They're looking at uh, homestays and what I would say more, you know, authentic ways of travel that will help them connect with people uh, in the communities that they visit. And that's another aspect is is making better choices about the places that we go to and seeking out places that need tourism dollars, um, knowing how much, how you know, so many of these small communities really have been uh, have been hurt by the pandemic, and wanting to be more intentional about where uh, where we spend our money. I'm curious if there's any, if if you received any input on sort of length of vacation. Do you think they're going to be longer, shorter vacations, um, mini retirements? What kind of uh, length of stays are people looking at? Yeah, it's a great question. We know that travel is going to be more complicated. Uh, we've we've seen what's been happening with the airlines, and uh, you know, less flights, more expensive flights. Um, that's going to be a reality. It's going to be more challenging to go to places. So, what I see is that women will choose to stay longer. And there's a trend called slow travel, which is really about, um, as I said, immersing yourself in a community. And I'm planning to do it myself actually as soon as I can. And 
and spend a longer period of time in as many, you know, in, in, in places as I travel and travel for six months to a year instead of doing, you know, kind of quick, uh, quick visits in different cities, you want to really spend more time in a place and, and, um, and get to know people. And that's also, you know, when you know people in a local community, that's also important for safety. So, um, so I think that's a win-win. It's, it's more cost-effective to stay somewhere longer. Uh, you can negotiate um, a better price for wherever you're staying. You can connect with the local community. You can, you know, if you're staying in a homestay or, or um, uh, renting an apartment or something, you can cook your own meals. Like there's all kinds of benefits to staying somewhere longer. Initially, do you think people are going to want to, you know, get on the first plane and get at a Dodge? Or do you think they're going to really look at uh, travel within our own country? I know personally, I just, I, I want to see as much of Canada as possible now for some reason. I'm, I, I don't really want to fly out of the country, which is crazy, but I just want to see a lot of Canada. Yeah, that's a great question. We are, we, I anticipate that people will stay in their countries. Um, you know, possibly until the end of the year. And then I think next year we'll see things start to open up internationally. But I agree with you. I spent last summer um, doing a whole travel at home uh, experience all across Ontario and just had the best time going to small towns and trying unique places to stay. And I stayed in a treehouse and an Airstream and houseboats and, and just glamping, you know, and tried all kinds of different things. It was really fun. So what about women traveling then? Um, you know, is there, do women have fears about traveling alone? Are they looking to travel in groups? Uh, you know, are you, are you arranging th that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, safety has always been a really, really important issue in women's travel. And, um, and so we, uh, we obviously focus on that a lot. It's, it's, it's the core of Journey Woman is to think about women's safety. We've just, um, we've got a survey that we're doing right now. So what I can share with you is kind of in progress, but, um, uh, but what we are discovering, and it may well be aggravated by uh, the recent uh, situation in the UK is that women do not feel safe at home or when they're traveling. And they also don't feel that they have the skills to defend themselves. So, uh, so I think personal safety will be even more important when we return to travel. Um, and we're trying to help women develop uh, some of the skills, not just through our editorial, but we're also hosting a session uh, this week and next week to, to do kind of self-defense training for women hosted by a woman who does this professionally and teach, teach people how to defend themselves. So uh, and we've had an overwhelming response to that. We've We've had over 300 people fill out our survey already. And uh, we had such a great response to the first self-defense session that I, that I asked our speaker if she would be willing to do a second one. And thank goodness she said yes. So, uh, so we're doing another one on April 15th. All right, incredible. So if people are listening and they wanna get in on that, they wanna know more about you, where can they go? They uh, can come to journeywoman.com. That's where everything is uh, in our events calendar and you can take a look and sign up. We, um, for the past uh, six or eight months, we've been doing a pay what you can for our events and we're giving proceeds to local organizations and charities. So uh, this one is going to a, a group in Calgary called Gems for Gems and uh, that helps abused uh, women and women that have been through domestic violence. So 
we've been doing this with all our events, just trying to give back uh, while we're waiting to travel again. All right, incredible. Well, I know I can't wait to get out. So thank you for joining me today, Carolyn. Thank you. According to a recent report on CNN, some people may have gained more than one and a half pounds on average per month during COVID-19. As a woman, I know that knowledge is sitting heavy with many of you, and I don't mean your weight, but mentally. So that's why I've invited my next guest to join me today. Lindsay G believes exercise is medicine and uses her PhD in exercise physiology to help people feel better, both physically and mentally. Mother to two amazing kids and lover of fitness, wine, and peanut butter cups, Lindsay believes life is about balance and finding what you need to make you feel strong and healthy. Welcome to the show, Lindsay. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So when I read this uh, headline in this article, I immediately thought, you know, I want to have somebody come on to talk women off the ledge because... (laughs) We do, we carry, we carry this, this around, like it's, it's not just the weight of it, it's the mental weight of it. And yeah. so what would you say to women who are worried about, you know, they've put on some weight during this pandemic? Yeah. Knock it off. <laughs> <laughs> Go easy on yourself. Go easy. I mean, this is uncharted territory. We're living with a lot of stress. A lot of us have had to move from an office to work from home and kids have been home. It's so much on our plate. So not only are we getting our family and our everything kind of inundated on us, we're also having higher levels of stress. And that's going to obviously increase hormonal issues, um, increase cortisol, which is going to give you belly fat. And there's like all these things that are happening. And so it's not just that you're sitting around being a schlump. It's that we're stressed out. We're not able to go to the gyms and to the classes and the stuff that we used to be able to do. So life has completely changed. So knock it off and lay off yourself. Be kind. If you want to get active, do it, get active, but no guilt. There's no guilt allowed this year. I'm saying this year, zero guilt. I like that. Uh, you know, no guilt. And it's, it's sort of the uh, attitude I've taken with exercise. I used to have this, this attitude that I had to be perfect at it. And I had to go out and slay every workout. And now I just kind of go, I moved today. Yeah. And that's the big thing, right? It's not, I don't know, when you're younger, I mean, I'm mid forties now. And when you're younger, it's, it is about that slaying the workout and getting the results and doing all that stuff. And I think even if, you know, we have younger listeners, it has to just be about moving your body. It has to just be about being physically active and doing something that you like. So let's not focus so much on what your body looks like, but let's look at how we're feeling. Do we have energy? Are we focused? Can we, you know, at the end of the day, do you have energy left? So we have to think of fitness and exercise and movement in these new ways because life is demanding that we look at it this way now. It's not about performance right now. It's just about energy and feeling better. So you talk about, you know, um, consistency for change. So is it just about um, as long as you're moving or do you help people develop uh, plans that work for them? Yeah, I mean, 
it's always about what, what are your goals? Are your goals to, you know, lose weight? If it is, you know, if you've packed on that one and a half pounds, yeah, that's going to impact you not only physically, obviously it's going to impact you physically, but it impacts you mentally. So how can I get you moving in a way that you love to move, that you're going to actually do it. And that's going to have the improvements and the benefits for your mental health. And so it is the consistency piece. You know, if I throw a program at you and it's, you know, intervals and lifting heavy and all this stuff that you don't like to do, then you're not going to do it. And then you're just going to feel bad that you're not doing the workout and then you're going to eat and then you're going to gain more weight. And this is this whole vicious cycle. So why don't we create programs and fitness routines that you enjoy that maybe just involve going for a hike, going for a walk with your dog, going for a little walk run or a bike ride, whatever it is, we can figure out what you need to benefit the mental health as well as the physical. But my whole thing is let's balance that mental and physical health with activity. So yeah, so let's forget about the body for a minute then sure. and talk about mental health. How yeah. many, you talk about how many weeks you have to be consistent before it actually changes your mental health. And so how many weeks is that? 16, 16 weeks of consistent behavior. And that's the problem is that people want to feel good now. We're always wanting that quick fix and for the body as well, but exercise and workouts, they're going to make you feel good after from endorphins and, and, you know, that release of those, those hormones. But we're looking more at how can we boost serotonin levels? How can we balance dopamine? What can we do with oxytocin? And all of those are associated with depression and anxiety and all the things that are rampant in our world right now. But in order for exercise to have any impact on serotonin levels, it takes 16 weeks of consistent behavior. So it's three to five times a week, I'm not asking for a lot. We can see improvements with 15 minute sessions for three to five times a week for 16 weeks. We're gonna have a benefit for mental health. So it's not overwhelming amounts. It's not like I'm gonna have you in the gym grinding it out seven days a week. It's like, get your butt out there and go for a walk for 15 minutes, three days a week. And in 16 weeks, I can almost guarantee you're gonna be feeling better. I love that. So that's our magic number, 16 weeks. And if people want to connect with you, Lindsay, uh, maybe talk about working on programs with you or just follow along on social media, where can they find you? Just at lindsayg.ca. And that's going to have all of my Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all that kind of stuff. So you can contact me through the website. If you need help with a program, I'm more than happy to help you out. Um, I just want people moving and I just want you feeling better. All right. Amazing. Lindsay, thank you for coming on. You're welcome. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. One year into this pandemic, you would think that life would be getting easier, but across the country, it felt very heavy this week with even more restrictive measures taking effect as variants take hold. So I wanted to end on a mindfulness note this week for those that are struggling. 
Stephanie Valentine is a clinical hypnotist, holistic nutritionist, and wellness coach who joins me today to share ways to help you stay in the moment and not get on the stress train. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. Hi, thank you. I think that it's fair to say there is a general heightened anxiety happening across the country this weekend. Um, how would, what are some steps you would recommend to people to sort of dial back that stress level? Okay. Well, I've got a few pointers just to first like get through your day. The first thing that I recommend to a lot of my clients and I do myself and my family members is get off the news. If you have you know, CB24 or any of the news channels just playing in the background, take it off. You might want to listen to the news, you know, once in the morning, maybe once at the end of the day. But if you're hearing that loop and the numbers and all the statistics and the variants and the ICUs, it's just going to throw you so over the edge that it might be difficult to come back and feel grounded. I would have to add into that probably social media as well, right? Yeah, you want to limit all of that. What One of the things that I love to do to sort of keep things light and easy is have music playing. If you're locked down, if you're home all day, play something fun, play something light, dance with your kids, dance with yourself, sing out loud. You know, listening to music is a form of meditation because it forces your brain to stop that that thinking. It takes you into the present moment and it injects a little bit of joy into your day. I so love that you said that. I literally just started a happy playlist on Spotify this week uh, <laughs> yeah. where I put all of my favorite songs and it has to be happy and it has to be upbeat into a playlist. And I just, every time I go for a walk with, uh, with Dolly Potton, we, I turn that on and it just lifts my mood automatically. So I love that you said that. What's another thing we can do? Another thing you can do is put a schedule into your day that you're taking control of your wellness. So one of the best antidepressants out there is exercise. Um, everybody's at a different level. Exercise means something different to everybody, but pretty much anyone can get that into their life. So if for you, it's just to walk around the block, or if it's a online spin class or a Peloton class or, you know, a online yoga class. If you, I like to start my day with it. Some people like to end their day with it, but to me, it gives me that endorphin boost that actually affects the same parts of your brain that an antidepressant does. So it just takes your base level up to make handling everything around you that much easier. So you also do holistic uh, um, wellness. I'm going to, sorry, you're a holistic nutritionist. I'm assuming that you also have some advice on what we're putting into our body uh, right now. Absolutely. Now I am a huge proponent of whole foods. I don't, I don't love going into sort of too restrictive diets unless you have a medical condition and you need that. But if you just keep in mind, if you can recognize where the food came from, you're doing okay. So, you know, a lot of clients and people will ask me about, you know, the nutrition labels and what it should say, and what percentage and, you know, what nutrients I'm like, an apple doesn't come with a nutrient label. Just if you, if you can see where it came from, 
you're good. Keep it simple. Now is not the time to be binging on the chips and the high sugar content things because they won't do anything for your energy and, uh, and your energy, you know, is, uh, what you need to be keeping up right now through the exercise. And, and so what else do you recommend for people then if they want to, I, I mean, I think the biggest thing is, is shutting down the brain from the worry. So any recommendations for that? Yeah. Okay. So something that I, you know, recommend to everybody to do is to get some mindful meditation into your life. Now, again, everybody reacts differently when you say that. They say, my mind's too crazy. I can't shut it down. I get too stressed when I start. I went through all of that myself when I was learning how to meditate. There are so many online meditation apps that you can log into and you listen to somebody else talk. And that will allow you to not race ahead. When you're doing a mindfulness meditation, you can do it for one minute. You can do it for three minutes. The, it's more important to try and do it every day than it is the length that you do it. And it just teaches you to take your thoughts, notice them, and bring yourself back to the present. So when people tell me, oh, I'm, I'm a terrible meditator, I can't do it. My first question is always, why do you think you're terrible at it? And they say, my mind's too busy. So my response to that is your mind is supposed to be busy. I believe, or I think that the human brain has maybe 16,000 thoughts per day. So mindfulness meditation is called a practice because you're always practicing at it. So if you decide to pay attention to your breath or the feeling of your hands, it brings you into the present. And every time your mind wanders, which it will, you pay attention to it and say, oh, my mind has wandered and you bring it back. So it's the bringing it back to what you've decided to pay attention to the breath or the feelings. That's like the push up of your exercise. Every time you bring it back, that's what mindfulness meditation is. So oh, I- the whole narrative that you're bad at it sort of gets thrown out the window. Well, I think that a lot of people might be able to, uh, might want to access you and your advice uh, more often. Uh, So if people want to connect with you online, where can they find you? They can find me on Instagram at uh, Steph Valentine one. They can find me on Twitter. Uh, I I don't, what is my Twitter? I, I gave you my Twitter handle, Stephanie Valentine one, I think. And they can also find me on Facebook. I've got a Facebook page, which is Stephanie Valentine CNP. All right. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com. And be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to re-listen to this episode and find full details for all of today's guests. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.